0: from 50,000 pounds in debt feeling as he puts it useless and worthless to 18 times multiple best-selling author a book every year for a decade a three times Guinness world record holder for public speaking more than 1100 rental units across hundreds of developments and properties and a millionaire by the age of My next guest has been featured in primetime TV shows for Channel 4, the BBC and the Business Channel with articles published in the biggest names in print media and having amassed over 2 million followers online, helping people achieve their full potential. Not to forget creating and hosting one of the biggest podcasts in the world right now, Disruptors. Quite something for a guy from a small city called Peterborough. For those not in the UK, who struggled to make ends meet as an artist, needing to borrow money from his parents, which he attributes to causing his own dad's nervous breakdown, this is by far the most excited I've been for an interview. And soon, you'll find out why. As you go through the podcast, remember that my next guest's story isn't just about where he is today. It's about where he started and the journey he undertook to get here. His life serves as an inspiring example that regardless of where you begin, with the right mindset and unwavering determination, you too can achieve greatness beyond your wildest dreams. This is the Behind the Wheel podcast and in the driving seat today is the one and only Rob Moore. How you doing, Rob?
1: Good. You should be a professional voiceover artist. I think so, right? Yeah. You've got a really good tone. <laughs> I was thinking, I've just finished a book and... I can't be asked to sit in the studio for a week and do it. I need to get you to do it. That's me. That's me. Yeah, you've got the perfect tone.
0: What can I say? Rob, when I was researching you and your life, I realised that there's so many different angles we could go down. I mean, there's money, mindset, entrepreneurship, failure, property. For you, Rob, what's the, the golden thread, if there is one, that ties all that work together?
1: And why is that?
0: Thread or mission for you so important?
1: Certainly, building assets. So my books are assets because obviously they sell copies, and you write them once, and then they sell for ten or fifteen years before you need to do an update. And obviously, I, like you said, I've got um, three hundred and forty rental units and thirteen hundred and fifty tenants, and you know I have a share of all the income from sure. the properties and the tenants. So that's an asset you know, like you said, I had over 2 million followers on social media. And so that, that's an asset to me because I can, you know, people might download my podcast and I might get ad revenue from it, or they might watch my lives that I get ad revenue from. So what I haven't done is built a job or multiple jobs where I'm doing my day job and overtime and weekend work. Each one of my businesses is an asset. So that's certainly a golden thread, as you call it, that that goes through all the businesses I've set up. And then, I suppose, information. I deliver and facilitate information through social media on my rob.team platform, in my audio books, on my podcast Disruptors, where we're nearly a thousand episodes in. And so I guess you could say I've turned information into income in all of the verticals. So that would be another thread that runs through it all. Um, I love teaching, training, speaking, mentoring. We have lots of mentoring programs. So I suppose I learn it, then I do it, then I teach it. And you know, there's the saying, it's a bit British because it's a bit skeptical, but there's a the saying that those that can do and those that can't teach, but I've learned to do and to teach and monetize both. So there are probably three common golden threads that run through the last 17 years of what we've built. There might be others, but that'll yeah, get going. Yeah.
0: Where does that desire to teach and to spread that knowledge come from? Because I think it's, it's fair to say that the doing is one thing and you could have just done it for yourself and then sit on a beach, retire. I think you've tried to retire a few times. Yeah, I have, and um, it's not, not all that it's cracked <laughs> up
1: to be. The reason I've unretired one more time than I've retired. <laughs> Um, it's because what you lack when you retire is the fulfilment. It might feel good to get the income from 1,350 tenants, but it's not fulfilling to sit on the beach and get sunburn. So that's why I love to teach, because it's the fulfilment element that you get. Doing it can be good, but it's more fulfilling when you help many other people too. Right. A- and if I'm being honest as well, it meets a selfish need. You know, I, I have this need for being respected and admired and liked and important and valuable and useful, probably because I lacked it when I was an overweight kid at school. And I didn't get that because I was sort of somewhat ostracized. So it meets that human need as well. But, you know, I was just thinking coming in um, I, I know, you know, we've said how long we've got, but any time I sit in the studio and talk to people, I almost don't want this to end. And I, I almost don't want to stop doing this, to then go into a, a meeting, which might be working in the business, whereas I would see this as working on it. You know, and I do believe we all have those things that we love, you know, we can love what we do and do what we love. And, and so training, I found that to be the one where time stands still. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not like, oh, you know, it's 10 past three, I need to get out of here. It'll be 10 past four and we'll be late yeah. for our next appointment, you know, that's how oh, it'll end yeah, up going. Yeah. So that, probably answer sort of two questions in one, but I get the fulfilment from training that I don't get just from the doing.
0: When I was reading into your life, there seemed to be a, quite a few pivotal moments that then catapulted you into a different direction.
1: Well, it's easy to call them pivotal when you look back. When you look back yeah. When yeah. you're going through them, yeah. you have a different word for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But
0: just, just, just take us back. I mean, I, I, I never came across this, uh, this, what you mentioned earlier about being overweight when you were a kid. Talk us through when you were going through that, what was going on, and how did that play a role in who you became
1: as a result? Yeah, adult? so I wasn't physically abused, but I've, I think I felt that I was emotionally bullied, and it, w- it was real to me, even though... I, I've met some of my school friends from back then that don't even remember being nasty, and I thought they were nasty. So I think a lot of it was in my head. You know, we, could, we can do that to ourselves a lot, worry about things that... Mm aren't real. So I guess, you know, for example, I'm now scared of needles because I had a bad experience when I was younger with a nurse trying to hit my vein and missing it loads of times. You know, th- that happened when I was, what, 19. I'm now 44 and I'm still scared of needles. So I'm, I'm reliving the past every time. And to a certain degree, I'm reliving the past any time I experience some, some rejection or, or failure. And, and what I used to do was go into my shell and feel very embarrassed and shameful and I would, um, you know, start going through this process of self lo- self-loathing. Um, but now I try and turn it into self-loving, you know, where instead of hating myself for feeling shame and feeling ostracised and lonely, I'm like, okay, well, I can actually turn this into something useful. How um, do you do that?
0: How, how, what's is that? Is that self-talk that you...
1: you yeah, you... definitely there's an element of self-talk and my self talk's quite like self abrasive now it's like <laughs> don't be a little bitch, come on, <laughs> you've got this, you know all day because i I train twice a day at the moment, and all day between the first and the second training session, I'm like, Am I really going to do the second one? I'm a bit tired, and I'm like you, you always feel good afterwards, just yeah. fucking do it. The ice baths there looking at me, growling at me and I 'm like, just getting the fucking thing, so my self talk it can be a bit brutal, but it's very direct and bold. And, and what I've learned is I, I trust my self-talk. It knows what I actually want, even though in the moment I might not feel like I want it. It, it has better wisdom than than me. I always feel good after I train. Yep. And. You know, I used to be a bit more of a victim in my self-talk. Oh, why me? This is not fair. Which is what most people do, I
0: think, when they go through hardships
1: and struggle. Yeah, but I, I think mean, the I... immediate reaction is just think, well, why me? Yeah, I can't speak for everyone. I'm not in everyone's head to hear their self-talk. But yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people do play the victim card for sure. And I used to do that in my head. But now I guess I've turned it into something more productive and proactive. You know, when I revisit those emotions, which aren't real because they happened 25 years ago, I just turn it into motivation now rather than it be debilitating. And how did I do that, I think was your question? Um, Therapy and better self-talk and seeing the upside in it and understanding that the void creates the value and the drive and that it's fuel. Help me, Rob, and and those listening
0: with an idea of, the event that led up to being in huge debt and what was going on? And how, this, how did this impact your, your own sense of, of self-worth at the time?
1: I'm writing this book at the moment called Money Loves You. I believe the universe is a mirror, so if you love money, money will love you. But if you don't love yourself, money's never going to love you. And I didn't love myself. I hated my overweightness. I hated... My embarrassed nature of it and the shame that I felt. I hated that about me that I felt shame. So, if I don't love myself, how is anyone else going to love me? You know, I was reflecting back out what was within. So, doing therapy helped me understand the past doesn't have to dictate the future and those events are memories long gone and they aren't real and I'm just replaying them like you would replay a movie but you know you distort them you know like when you've played a vhs so many times it, it's yeah. distorted well you know my my recollections of what happened in my teens and 20s would be very distorted now and there would probably be if i have good memories they would probably actually they'd be distorted in the upside now. And if I had bad memories, they'd be disor- distorted in the downside. They yeah. wouldn't be anything like the reality. So I, I realised that my past isn't my present or future and that I have the ability to change my story and change my narrative. You know, someone once said to me, I interviewed Ed Milet on my podcast and he said, life, life either happens to you or for you. And something to you means, oh, well, they did that to me. Yeah. They stole all my money. Or someone did that for you as a way to teach you something. Yeah. So, you know, feeling like life does things for me and not to me has been transformative. And, and, you know, nowadays, I mean, my wife even said to me what she likes about me nowadays is, you know, I'm much more relaxed. And she says I let a lot of things go. And, um, you know, people often comment that they're surprised at how I can handle things. But I, I don't think it's difficult. All I do is instead of having a delusional fantasy of how things should be, I accept things how they are. If there is a road traffic accident and there's a tailback, the fantasy is I should have got to work earlier. The reality is the tailback has made me late. And, you know, we have, we spend a lot of time booking guests for our podcast who then cancel. Well, then, you know, the the fantasy is it was supposed to happen and the reality is it wasn't supposed to happen. Nature will give you everything you want if you understand the laws of nature and you work with nature. But... If you fight nature and you try and break the rules of nature, you're never going to win that game. So anything that happens now, and by the way, it's easy to say if, if someone came in and wanted to cut my arm off, I'm, you know, going with that and accepting that as the way it is, it's not going to be as easy. Sure. But I can either carry on with a positive attitude and one arm, or I, I can, um, you know, be resentful for the rest of my life and... You know, Thankfully, I've not been in that position, but I've been in other positions which were a little bit make or break, or at least they were to me at the time, whether I was facing debt or um, a legal case or you know, a load of haters or trolls or, or something like that. And in the moment, it can feel like the worst pain. But afterwards, you realise it was often the greatest gift because hindsight gives you that clarity to see that it was meant to be that way. And, you know, I think hum- humans, we're far less intelligent than we think we are because we, we try and achieve a goal or an outcome, and w- we convince ourselves that this is the way it should be. Nature shows us later that nature knows better and that actually it should have been a different way. I've got a good example of that. Zane, um, you know, who's behind the cameras there, um, he was one of the team members that we fought in a public white-collar charity boxing event. There was myself and then about 10 of my team. Mm. And Zane didn't know this at the time, but he got a fighter with 53 fights. He was supposed to fight a fighter with no fights. You, you know, white collar is no fights, not 53. And I, I think had Zayn known, if he's honest, we can ask him afterwards, but had he known that fight had 53 fights, he might not have done the fight and he might have thought it was mm-hmm. unfair and he was unevenly matched, which it was. Anyway, he did the fight. He did really well i watched the fight from the side of the ring and then afterwards i think if you ask him he'll say to you i'm actually really glad i did that i'm also glad some, no one told me before the first yeah, yeah. round bell yeah. that he had 53 yeah. flights would that be starts... w- w- would that be a fair i think that's fair yeah. yeah so you know nature the universe had bigger plans for Zane. Yeah, you're not just yeah. going to fight someone with no fights, you're way beyond that. You're going to fight someone with 53, but we're not going to tell you because you might shit yeah. the bed. <laughs> goes
0: on. And
1: so I, I lost my fight on a technicality, on a split decision. I just want to make that publicly <laughs> clear, um, but I lost my fight. But I realized that nature had far bigger plans for me than winning the fight. And actually there were many things about the event that I won, even though I lost the fight, like I won the crowd. So. Yeah, you know, now, I, you know, when I'm going through something difficult, I'm like, what's nature trying to tell me about how delusional I am about how this should be? And, and what, what bigger plans has it got for me? And then try and embrace that.
0: Was one of those events December the 15th, mm. 2005?
1: Yeah, so you've done your research. So... Um... Hats off to you for that. Yeah, so on December the 15th, 2005, my dad had a a nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all of his customers and he was beaten up by the police, arrested and sectioned. And in that moment, I felt immense shame and anger, resentment to the police, even though I can see now why they'd have been aggressive with him because he was threatening. But at the time, I couldn't see that. And I felt it was such a, um, an embarrassing moment for my dad for that to have to happen in front of all the, s- the staff and customers. Why did it have to be public?
0: And you were there as well?
1: Yeah. Why couldn't I do anything about it? I just froze. And, you know, my dad had put me through school and put me through university and paid for my first car and paid for my first house, or at least helped me with part of the deposit. And I felt like I, the way I was paying him back and rewarding him for this was being useless and in debt and working in his pub, which he knew I didn't want to do and I knew I didn't want to do. And yeah, so at the time, I I felt real shame around that. And it wasn't until, you know, weeks later that I realised that that had to happen to fire me up to go and do something with my life. And I went to a a property networking event and met my business partner the first first time I went in December 2005 right at the end a few days after this event and I wouldn't have had the motivation or the shame based drive to go and do that had what had happened with my dad not happened so it was the worst day of my life in many regards but also the best in many regards that happened for me not to me yeah whereas I would have I couldn't see that I mean I suppose in some ways it only taking weeks and not years is Quite productive because sometimes you can hold on to things for years. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. hold on to it for years, but I didn't give myself time because I just got busy. I mean, you know, if you want to make sure that you don't give yourself time to be in your own head beating yourself up, just be busy. Just get busy. You now, bus- busyness, you know, I know you can burn yourself out, you have to be careful, and, you, and people talk about work life balance, but actually, being busy is one of the greatest forms of therapy if you're doing something productive and meaningful because you're working towards something of a positive outcome and you distract yourself from all the minutiae and the distractions yeah. and the pain. So, yeah, it ended up being a good day.
0: When you reflect back on that experience, and, and there's probably people, Well, there are definitely people who are going through pain and trauma right now. For, for you, is it like a switch in your head? Like, Do you have this ability to just, in the moment, understand, right, life is doing this for me, and this is an opportunity how 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 does it work for you in your life now when you're going through pain yeah. any struggle
1: there's a change of narrative that goes on in the moment if i'm gaining the upside awareness in the downside situation then there's a change in narrative in that moment
0: and you're aware of it you 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 actually like you actually Yeah i'm, I, I'm of...
1: trying to change the narrative yeah. i'm not just yeah. aware and conscious of it i'm actively trying to change the yeah. the negative self-talk into a more positive narrative like how i know how i'll feel afterwards or you know this is a time to prove your resilience and strength or there's an opportunity and a solution through this yeah and i think it's personal development that taught me that you know that you're responsible completely for your own life and your own destiny and to not blame complain justify or defend a weak position so that's what goes on Now, it doesn't always work because sometimes, like in lockdown 2020, it didn't happen overnight where I went from, you know, having to shut the business down and worrying about letting all the staff go to, oh, this is the best thing that's happened to our business in the last three years. That took more than an overnight or a day. That took weeks instead of days. But what now, you know, wisdom is being able to change the narrative in the moment to see it happening in real time that's wisdom. And, and, and all it really is, is seeing an upside. Anything that you perceive is happening to you and not for you, you think is bad, i.e. you're seeing more downside than upside. But anything that you perceive is happening for you, you're just able to see the upside of it. And neither are actually real, because negative and positive don't exist. We've created them. It's, it's, it's a, a
0: perception. Yeah. Exactly,
1: it's a yeah. perception. So it, it, essentially, we can change any perception because a, a perception is a fictional creation. I'm creating a fiction of downside through emotion. I can change that fiction of downside to a fiction of upside. And sometimes that's through proof, i.e. Oh, been here before. I know the theory of the upside. And other times it's just deluding yourself into thinking that you've got this, even if you haven't got this. I can do this. I'm good enough for this. I'm strong enough for this. You know, you know when you're going into the ring and fight someone 20 kilos heavier than you, there has to be a certain amount of... You know, have I got this? I don't know. Well, yeah, I've got this, even even though you've never done it. And, you know, so there's a certain amount of deluding yourself, you know, but all perception is delusion because it's not real.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I feel like that gets more amplified as you get older in the sense that. How old are you? So I'm 31. I'm 31. And you're talking about age. Yeah. (laughs) Still a puppy.
1: Well, because I'm I'm 44.
0: (laughs) But it, it, it's got me. I mean, I was, I was reading your book. Um, Start now, get perfect later. And th- there was a bit where you mention about as kids, we had this. We had this natural tendency to see a puddle and, and jump in. There's a very little amount of fear in you as you as you know when you're a child. And as you get older, something happens, and and experience <laughs> experience. Yeah. But, and I, I feel like a lot of people and, and this idea of starting now. I feel like a lot of people. I had a choice of reading so many of your books, but I chose that one because it spoke to me the most. Because when I was thinking about starting my own podcast and and whatever else that, that was alongside it, there was a massive, massive, huge amount of ifs. If this, if this, if this. What if they think of me like this, right? And as I look back on it now, I realize that so much of how we think about taking risks is driven by a sense of fear. And when you reflect on your own experience of going from, you know, really, you know, in in a, in a tough situation to where you are now, where you're constantly taking, you know, risks and you're you're building your business and you've built businesses, what happens? What happens to us as people that? starts to make us a lot more risk averse?
1: I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. The first thing certainly is covering off the worst-case scenario. Because I think what we do, I call it doomsdaying, I think I might have wrote it in the book, whereby something happens and we just go to the doomsday scenario in our mind. And that's a protection mechanism. So that can actually, you know, if we're in a very difficult society where there's, Murder and rape and war and crime and pillage, you know, being cautious and going to a doomsday scenario is very valuable for self preservation. So, you know, we we have this auto response for self preservation based on an historic, much harder time to be alive where we need to be constantly like the yeah. mere captor threats. Yeah. But you know now we've evolved and we've got a more secure society and protection mechanisms in place and therefore we, we don't need to be on edge so much but many people still are and so contextualizing what's the worst that will happen and how serious is this threat in reality is a useful skill in overcoming procrastination so they're they're two immediate things people can do now
0: literally just think about the worst case scenario that was the one thing what Was what was the other thing yeah about?
1: so the first thing is yeah look at the worst case scenario and assess if that happened could you handle it yeah and what yeah. is the likelihood of it happening yeah. so you know there's two different questions you can ask yourself there yeah. and then the what ifs can also be better than you doomsday assume because some people they do something and they're surprised that it went well, which means they must have thought it would go badly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, when we ask, what if I fail or what, what if I succeed? How great could my life be if, you know, for example, quitting your job, you know, someone might be relatively financially stable and comfortable and, yeah oh, what well, if I quit my job, you know, I won't have the regular income, my mortgage, you know, my car loan, but what if you started that dream vocation? And what if you you know, lived life to its absolute fullest? What might that mean? What if I succeeded It could be a good question as opposed to what if I failed? It's flipping it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Not all risk aversion is bad. Like if someone comes to me with a new hottest crypto scam, I want some risk aversion. And if I've just had my children and I'm trying to navigate them through challenging times, I want some risk aversion. Any emotion we feel is just the emotion. It's not bad or good, it's just the emotion. And I think understanding life is about understanding what the emotion is and what it's a response to, rather than projecting on it whether it's good or bad.
0: It, it kind of reminds me of, um, you, you begin the book by specifically starting off with procrastination, and, and you, you, you talk about how... A lot of it is based on how you identify yourself, i.e. I'm not a procrastinator, I just procrastinate sometimes. Mm. And the importance of the values that we adopt. Yeah, I I am not a loser,
1: I've just lost once or twice. There's a huge difference between I lost last time and I am a loser. I believe that the universe is a mirror and it gives you everything that you give it. So whatever you state with surety of I am, you are. If you state with surety, I am a loser, you are a loser. If you state with certainty, I am a winner, you are a winner.
0: How do you shape those values though? How do you, what is it that people can do to help them almost embody the values that will serve them?
1: Well, I suppose understanding their existing values and just checking if they're the kind of values that are in line with where they want to go in life. And the way you do that is you ask yourself, what is most important to me in my life? And if there's a disconnect between what you write out and how your life is, there's a disconnect between what you want your values to be and what they are. Your values are what they are. You are living life according to your highest priorities. You just might not be consciously aware of that. So making sure that there's not a disconnect between what you think you want and what you actually want. And, you know, look at how you spend your time and what you prioritise and where you spend money and, you know, what you go to first and what you put off and look at those things and check they're in alignment with where you want to take your life. Like if you want to be wealthy and being wealthy is high on your values, but you're spunking all your money on depreciating liabilities, there's a mismatch there.
0: When I was reading the book, it got me thinking about the step before, which is... Okay, Rob, you've you've done an amazing job at helping me to understand how to get over my fear of getting started. But
1: the step before that is, I suppose... Read the fucking book is the step before. (laughs) You buy the book and you think that you... you The amount of people that wave my book on a Zoom screen... That sat on their shelf and they ha- actually haven't read it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So many yeah. people might be listening and they've got my books or podcasts or audio books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fucking listen to it. That's it the is. that's the step it, of action.
0: Genuinely, it was a book that I was reading um, on my day nursery run, and it was one of those books where it was, it wasn't. It was a book that was relatively easy to read because it was quite. There was a bit of humour in there. There was there was. Uh, you know, and, and it, it wasn't overly theoretical, uh, which, which, which is why I was really, sweet. but it, it got me thinking about people who are not sure where to get started. You mentioned about experiments and there's a specific quote that I, that I read and it goes something like, if you, stop, if you stop seeing decisions as final and start seeing decisions as a series of tests that can be tweaked and adjusted as you, as you go along and not before you go, then you'll be in flow. And I suppose for me, it's how do you determine what those experiments should be?
1: Let's say you're in a state of procrastination where you don't know what to do next. There are a few things you can do. Number one is you can guess. Because sometimes we are completely torn and split and we really don't know. We spend so much time stuck in the void of indecision. So I'll give you an example. We do a lot of interviews for recruitment in this company. And if I'm 50-50 about the staff, I'll always say yes, because hiring is a lottery anyway. So if I'm 50-50, well, that's about the odds of them being good. So I might as well just say yes, because I want to hire the person. So instead of being stuck in the void of 50-50-ness and staying in there forever and bouncing around like an atom in the universe, I'll just go, well, then the answer is yes. And then do my best to make it work. Because sometimes a decision can be made to work because you're belligerent about making it work and you won't take no for an answer. That's also possible. But that's not possible until you've made the initial 50-50 decision. So way number one to make a decision when you're in the void of indecision is to guess. Way number two is to look at the highest priority tasks Or a way to chip away at the overall task to put a foot forward. That could be, for example, to plan the diary for the next day, the evening before. You know, so today you may be very unsure what you're doing tomorrow, but tonight I'm going to plan tomorrow's diary. Or I'm going to pick up the phone and then I'm going to turn on the CRM. And I'm going to find the number for my next appointment. The next thing is there are some decisions that dwarf all other decisions. These these are called force multiplier decisions. So, for example, I could say to my team, any podcast with 100 episodes book me on, which means they don't have to come to me to get my authority for every single podcast they might want to get me on. So that has then trumped and negated the micro decisions and actions yeah. and procrastinations and over analysis. So there's some things people can do to move. I call it the void. I even might have done some illustrations on this. But, you know, the, the, the biggest step is that first step or that first leap of faith. Um, you know, the World's Strongest Man, they have the truck pull. Yeah. Well, that truck takes a hell of a lot of energy and strength to get going. But once that truck is moving, there's a lot of momentum. You mentioned in the book about how once
0: you're in momentum, yeah.
1: it's easier to keep M- much it. Much easier. Whereas, and it works when you've done 10 well. closing sales calls in a row, picking up yeah. the phone on the 11th is much and easier. And the
0: same thing goes for being stationary. Like if you're in stationary, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot harder to get started. Yes,
1: it is. Well, the... Object facing an unstoppable force Mm -hmm. both have great momentum Mm -hmm. but you know when faced with each other they just nothing happens and so anything that's not in mo what is it is it the law of conservation of energy a body in motion tends to stay in motion and a body at rest tends to stay at rest i want to write a book about this called momentum i might not because i'm writing a lot of money (laughs) books at the moment but basically i believe life is about momentum whereby it can be like strikers you know, in in football, it can take them nine or ten games to get into a run of good scoring form. They need to stay in that run and do everything they can to stay in that run because they have this what you call purple patch where they're in flow and then they can lose it. So when you're in flow, it's easier to stay in flow. And then when you're out of flow, it's harder to get back into flow. So you've got to recognise in your life when you've got momentum and keep going. And you've got to recognise when you're stuck in a rut and keep going. I guess linked that is... Well, often people do, you know, I'm sure we're, you know, we're, we're all guilty of it, if,
0: of, of stopping, and dare I say it, procrastinating, right? You do talk a lot about it in the book, but just for those who might not have read it yet, and they should definitely read it, just very briefly, what, what are some of the biggest reasons that people typically procrastinate?
1: Unknown outcome, potential consequence or cost, not feeling ready, not believing they can do it, overall not believing in themselves perfectionism as a curse, fear of success as well as fear of failure. Yeah, the, these are some of the reasons that people procrastinate. I, I've just started, I
0: must, I must confess, I've just started doing the method of checking my energy levels throughout the day and, and logging it down. Yeah. And then prioritising not my to-do list, but my to-leverage list. Yeah. And it's super powerful, but it got me thinking about the natural daily cycle of emotions that we go through and it's funny how when I look back at the times I do procrastinate, they are inherently linked to certain times of the day.
1: Oh, for sure. There'll be patterns in your day that are making it easier or harder to make decisions, yeah. no doubt. It yeah. might be types of food which are energising or take energy away, conversations with certain individuals, the environment that you're in, whether it's hot or cold or conducive to work or not. I mean, you've spent so much time
0: figuring out, okay, is, it, is it one coffee at was it
1: 11.30? Yeah, it's the first one so is 6am 6 6 a.m. or whenever the nearest Costa opens, it could be <laughs> yeah. earlier. Yeah. And then the next one is sort of between 10 and eleven. am I mean, you've, a.m. You've,
0: you've spent a lot of time and energy figuring out how to make the most of that 24-hour period. Yeah.
1: I mean, And that's an investment of time. Let's say it took me 48 hours to find out the best use of 24 hours. It took me two days to do that. And let's say that made me more productive of a vector of an hour a day, well in 48 days I've got the return back on my 48 hours of investment of time. So time is your greatest asset, so invest your time wisely. You pay yourself the best return. And the difference between being productive for four hours a day and three hours a day is 365 hours a year or 3,650 hours every 10 years compounded that's a lot of time it's funny because my wife and i are experiencing something a bit like that now whereby because as well as spending a lot of time on working out my coffees and the maximum time investments of the day my wife and i also do quite a lot of i guess what they call biohacking checking our blood sugar i've come across this Yeah stuff, our blood yeah, sugar yeah. levels and the impacts of certain foods and trying to eat foods and exercise And and other things that um, can have a positive influence on your life longevity. And we must spend, well, we spend thousands a month on this now, pounds. And I said to my wife, bloody hell, when we were 20, we didn't spend anything. But had we invested a bit more time in our 20s in our health, we may not have to spend thousands in our 40s. And my wife's just had a shoulder MRI and I've been going dizzy and I'm taking iron supplements for anemia and... All these things could have been avoided by smarter time investment and management in our 20s.
0: Where does that come from, Rob? That, that, Where does what that, come from? That desire to want to juice every single second for what it's worth. Sweat. I
1: mean, Sweat. Yeah. Squeeze the lemon dry. Yeah. Sweat the asset. I mean,
0: if I recall in the book, I mean, your bedtime is your bedtime. I mean, you've you've, you've not only... <laughs> you've actually experimented... I mean, you pretty much openly diss the 5 a.m. club and they're kind of,
1: you know... Yeah, um, well, the thing is, 5 a.m. is not right for artists and creatives and people with a later circadian rhythm. So all these people up at 5 a.m. actually not doing any work, just disrespecting and calling out anyone else who's in bed, you know, like... Yeah. you
0: wake up at 6 a.m. Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: I find that quite an irony. But yeah, I've tested the best time to get up and the best time to go to bed and the best kind of coffee and the worst kind of coffee and the best kind of environment and the worst kind of environment. And, you know, the best duration of time for meetings and the worst duration of time for meetings and the best kind of foods and the worst kind of foods and the best time to fast and, you know, all of this stuff, the best supplements to take. Because when you kick in the law of compounding, which is leverage over time, small Positive impacts now Compelled to large impacts later And I love life So I want to live as long as possible And I love money So I want to get a maximum return On my time invested uh, Yeah, I, I, I like to test these things Because you can't master What you don't measure
0: Yeah, and to begin Beginning somewhere Is obviously really important but Where did it all start for you? Like, What was the first moment That you thought I need to start really figuring out Where my time is going And... and...
1: I think it was when I got into sales, actually. So right. I got into sales about 16 years ago, about a, about a year in from starting out. I got into sales and I figured out that calling people between 8 and 9 a.m. and 7 and 8 p.m., I had a much higher chance of getting right. them on the phone. Cool. And I would make a note of how many calls I could get through right. in, that, in those time frames. And normally 8 to 9, if you, you're either in bed or you get into the office and you mess around with admin. So I, I got some good leverage then. And, and then it's sort of, you know, best time to go to the gym. Because you know, the longer the day goes on, the more things you've got to fight in your mind to overcome to get your ass to the gym. Oh, I've got this meeting. Oh, this podcast might have gone a bit over. Oh, then, you know, there's, there's traffic. And the longer you go through the day, the more of that stuff confronts you that you have to talk yourself around, which burns energy. So if you just get up and go to the gym, yeah. you don't have to fuck around with all of that. I think I think there's
0: something about uh, there was a book I was reading about decision fatigue and the yes. idea that you know we and it's true like we, we naturally make worse decisions towards the end of our day. That's what that's what people binge eat at like eight pm mm. because they've and, and emotions <laughs> you know make, yeah. making
1: decisions. You should never make a really important decision when you're really high or really low and you should transcend your emotions and have neutrality and balance when you wanna make important decisions because you'll make bad, important decisions. So yeah, that's something else that you gotta try and figure out because I think Mel Robbins calls it the five second rule and some other research I've seen where, when you get triggered and you get that strong emotional release, it lasts five to 10 seconds and then it dissipates, whether it's pure anger or rage or, or, or shame. That's when we do our stupidest of things. And if you just took a breath in and counted to ten or six and didn't open your mouth or do anything or make a decision in that moment, then you probably wouldn't. I reckon we're messing our life up in, you know, in those five to ten seconds after being triggered. Yeah. So that's something else I learned to do, which is not make a decision too quickly or to allow those five or ten seconds to dissipate before I make a decision. Yeah. And I'm naturally an emotional so. I find that quite difficult. I've had to sort of train myself to wait.
0: I think it's important that people understand just how much you've thought about what goes where in your day. Like, I mean, you're, you're very, very strict about what goes where. I mean, what, just just talk us through what a typical, not a typical day, but what does the flavour of that very strict timetable look like?
1: So, um, I think, the same amount of sleep at the same time is vital. From the research that I've done, which for you is nine thirty till yeah, nine thirty till five forty-five a.m. Yeah. It's quite specific. It's, the, well, it's yeah. very specific, and it, it, but it might move fifteen minutes here or there, just depending on what country I'm in in the world. Or sometimes your sleep gets disrupted a bit, and you try and bring it back into balance. My sleep got disrupted a bit when I was doing the boxing, and when we were sparring late. I couldn't get to sleep till later. And then when Costa Coffee decides it's going to have a refurb and the, the other one opens later, that <laughs> fucks my routine up. <laughs> How much sleep and when to me is fundamental. Like when, when this book came out, why do you sleep? Well, well it's fucking obvious why you sleep. And I didn't really get why people didn't understand why. And I could just tell with my body if I would not had enough sleep. To me, it seemed like common sense. Maybe it's not common sense. So that's got to be important. And then getting up at the same time and just jumping out of bed without any snooze. That's really important. And then immediately necking half a litre or a litre of water. That's really important. That's actually something I've introduced in the last six months. Then going to get my coffee, which is the perfect time for me in the morning. Then doing high-income generating tasks and leverage tasks before 8am. At the moment, I'm writing a chapter of my book every day in the morning. And then I'll do copywriting and respond to the important emails that other people are waiting for my response on. And then come sort of 10 o'clock, I'll have breakfast. And my wife's cooking me at the moment smoked salmon and scrambled eggs because she thinks that the smoothie I've been having spikes my blood sugar. Right, okay. So um, I'll have a fairly high fat, low sugar breakfast. Then I'll do my first workout because since boxing I'm training twice a day at the moment. Then I'll have another sort of mid-morning high protein snack. Then I'll do more writing or content till midday. And then meetings from midday till three. But I'll have my second coffee just as I come in to work from home. And then interviews at 3pm to 4pm. And then my second training's at 6.15pm. And then I listen to podcasts in the car to leverage the time. And I generally tend to watch the biographical documentaries on Netflix and Apple before the fiction ones. So I can leverage the... Education. I, have a, I try and have a rule. Doesn't always happen. I try and have a rule that if my kids are around, I'm always with them yeah. when I can be.
0: Do you ever find that there's a there's a, a problem when your partner isn't on the same kind of routine as you?
1: No, not if they are performing a different function in the family dynamic. Right. So if your wife or husband is also the co-director of your company and you're doing everything at the same time the same way, yes. Because if two of you are doing the same job, one of you isn't needed. Yeah. But if you know, my wife looks after the house, she looks after the children, and she does other jobs, so she has her own routine, and that works absolutely fine.
0: Yeah. yeah. For, I mean, I'm pretty sure we've run out of time, but there's a bit where you talk about you know actually prioritising the things that are you know really important to you, like family, like holiday, like actually like thinking a year in advance, you know, plug in those two weeks away. Mm. um, Well, if you
1: set up a recurring diary entry, the second two weeks in August every year or the second two weeks in December every year for a holiday, um, it will happen and everything else will set itself around it. Whereas if you don't book them in and make them high priority, because you have to do what's of high priority, otherwise people will get you to do their high priorities. Mm -hmm. And if you don't outsource and delegate low priorities, you'll be doing other people's high income generating tasks and they'll outsource and delegate their low priorities to you. Yeah. Their low priorities might also end up being your low priorities and you, but you, you, know, you, you haven't set barriers and boundaries and compartmentalization in your diary to do so. Yeah. So you, know, you have to own your day otherwise your day owns you. I
0: own you, yeah. Just finally, Rob, um, as we wrap up, one thing which really strikes me is it, it seems like there's a bit of, well, a heavy load of legacy building in your work. I mean, this desire to want to
1: right, leave something a behind. Books.
0: Yeah, like, you know, it just continues. I mean, you know, written a book every year for a decade is... People struggle to even do one Yeah, work. I'm on
1: number 19 now, <laughs> and I'm on year 18. It's crazy. So I mean, I'm, ca- what, I'm overtaking. <laughs> what What would you want your legacy to be, Rob? I want people to remember me as the guy that was a bit in their face, a bit ranty, sort of disrupted them and got them to really think. And at first, maybe they didn't like me, but then they came round to you know, finding my content useful and valuable and that it helped them get better financial knowledge and ultimately helped them create financial freedom. That's how I want to be remembered.
0: Rob, honestly, I um, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. We do appreciate pleasure. it. Pleasure. Um, Thanks for coming
1: to our studio and getting it done.
0: No, it's absolutely it's my pleasure. And for those who might not know where to find you, where can they find you?
1: So my podcast is called Disruptors, if you listen to podcasts. And my books, there's about 18 of them. (laughs) Some are co-written. The ones that are written by me, you might want to start with money, start now, get perfect, or written solely by me. Money, start now, get perfect later, life leverage. And then I'm on all social media as Rob More Progressive or Rob Progressive. And then I have my membership site to help people make, manage, and multiply more money, master money. I'm starting to scale their business, which is called rob.team, and the URL is rob.team. Amazing. Thanks,
0: Mike. Thank you very much, man. Cheers.